from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Hey, Dan. Can, yeah. you, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, we're back. And uh, Mark's going to set up the timer so we can yeah, go. do the show. We're good. Okay. Uh, just one second. Okay. Sound, sound quality was really good. Good. And we're... Go ahead. Okay. And it's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm Michelle. And this is Mark. And today we have Dan Price, the hobo artist who lives in a cave, believe it or not. Uh, I don't know how Dan got in there, but he used to be a writer, I think. He's now still a writer, kind of. He's doing some books that he stopped publishing, but he's got a lot of them online that you can buy. We're going to talk about all that stuff and why he ends up going to Hawaii every month when he, or every year when he lives in such a beautiful place in Bend, Oregon. No, actually... He doesn't live in Ben. He lives in Joseph. (laughs) But he's in Ben right now. Dan, welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. (laughs) Hey, Dan. Yeah, how you doing? Thanks. (laughs) So, Dan, how on earth did you end up in a cave? Uh, It's it's actually more of a, I would say, not a cave in the ground. It's more like a wooden hot tub that's been built underground so it has wooden walls it has carpet floor a skylight it's actually like a nice little room underground but it's very tiny it's only an eight foot circle 80 square feet so is this like an earth ship well earth ship is something down there in taos that they made out of bottles and everything i i have just used old pine boards and it's all very natural construction. It is sealed with plastic on the outside, so water doesn't uh, seep in. But it's, if you can imagine a nice, beautiful little wood-lined room that just happens to be underground with a tiny door and a small skylight, and you, you can't stand up in it. It's only four feet high. So, wow. so did you did you dig this into the into the hill or how? Or find it, or did you find it? Yeah, exactly. Did you have yeah, to kick out the bears? The I actually dug out a, a large spot and then built the structure and then recovered it so that it's totally covered. There's about a foot of soil on top of it, which is really neat because when you're underground, it's all insulated. Right. In the summer, it's cool, and in the winter, it's easy to heat because it's always right at 55 degrees. When I walk in in the winter and I go in there, it's, it's 55 degrees in there to start with. So to heat that up to 65 or 70 is real easy. So let's be honest, Dan. You don't really walk in, do you? No. So, so that uh, so uh, Perry said you are a hobo artist. Is that a self-proclaimed title, or is that just something that he came up with? Yeah, I really like the word hobo, and actually have done a lot of train hopping. And for 25 years, I've lived this way. I started in teepees and lived in a little hut, uh, lived in a tiny little building, all on this same property, two acres along a river. So I. I just always like that word hobo and have, have uh, 
had a lot of freedom to wander with a backpack and travel and do my little journals, my drawing journals. So I kind of picked up that name. And what, what were you doing before all of this? I did a 10-year stint as a news photographer in a lot of different states around the country as a photojournalist. Uh, raised two kids. We actually got divorced in about 1990, but I continued to help raise the kids whenever I could get over to their place. Uh, went from that into creating this illustrated journal called Moonlight Chronicles, and it's a, a little pamphlet, what they call a zine, a 100-page little magazine with my drawings and writings about my adventures. That's actually, they're uh, actually unique. quite beautiful. Yeah, the thing that happened with that is after doing them for about three years, uh, a Santa Barbara shoe company called Simple sponsored it. And for eight years, I uh, was their artist, but they also published my little magazine. And I went all over the world having adventures and just keeping uh, an illustrated journal about my travels, and they would publish it and give it to their customers. And it was just a great gig. It sounds, wow. like, sounds like it, for sure. That's you know, really fascinating. For our podcast listeners, is, is that what is out of print, or that can they still go to a website and order those? Yeah, MoonlightChronicles.com is a website I've had for about 15 years. And I don't create new ones anymore. Uh, some of my e-books are on there about how I made my little house. Uh, another one about the simple life, kind of my 25-year journey in this meadow. And then there's one of the Moonlight Chronicles that's an ebook, and I'm in the process of turning them all, 77 issues, into ebooks so that people can buy them because I just don't print them anymore. It's too much of a hassle to print and mail. Yeah, yeah. But I'd say in a year, in a year or so, all of those 77 issues will be ebooks, and you can just click on them. The, the very last issue, 77, is currently on the site for sale as an ebook. Cool. Cool. Very cool. 77 issues. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, That's an investment amazing. in time. Yeah, it was 20, so that was 20 years of work. I did, did that for 20 years and retired that in the fall of 2012 right. and got into surfing and, and learned how to surf in six years. So every winter I would go to, to the islands and surf all winter and live in a van there and then sell the van, come back home, and would just spend time in my meadow. So, be- so that's... I'm sorry, Dan. Before before that happened, did didn't somebody sponsor you to ride a a trike around the country or from here to from Oregon to Florida or something like that? Well, kind of my philosophy is getting back to the hobo word. I don't I don't like to spend money. I don't have a lot of money, but I want to have freedom. The way I've done that is just by stripping away everything that I don't need, which was pretty interesting. To live in a teepee, and, and I, I just had to get rid of a refrigerator, a lot of my clothes. I just didn't have anything. I had a bag of clothes and a bag of food and a little bed, and I, I just found that that was really a wonderful experience to simplify in such a radical manner. And in, in, along those same lines, I fell in love with a recumbent trike. It's called a tadpole trike, and they were very expensive back around the year 2000. I couldn't afford one. They were $2,500. Wow. Well, I, I went and contacted the owners and actually met them at a bike show in Vegas 
I hopped a train and went down there and met them and convinced them that I knew how to get a lot of publicity for people's products and that if I rode their track across the country, I would stop at every newspaper and TV station I came across and get them to do a little story, which I did. And in trade, when I got to the end of the ride in Key West, Florida, they needed to give me the trike, and which they did. Wow. So it was just a way <laughs> to not only get a trike and have a great adventure, but promote their company. It was a time when it was 2000, 2001. I went right after 9-11. And there was a lot of fear in the country. And so I was kind of promoting, you know, continue to have adventures, people. It, it's safe out here. And also, the, the point was also very much to travel not using gasoline. Wow. Pedal, have pedal pedal. How did you get back from Florida? They flew me back. With the bike? Yeah, they flew. <laughs> well, they flew. I just assembled the trike and, and UPS it up to their uh, factory in Michigan. It's called Terra Trike. And they're the biggest American trike company now. Wow. And then we kind of sat around to decide what we were going to do. And they said, well, we're going to give you the trike. And they flew me home. And, yeah, so that was 45, 100 miles. It took three and a half months of pedaling. And then, again, getting back to the hobo thing, because of my experience of simplifying, in three and a half months, I stayed in two motels. So I would just dive into the bushes and camp every night after the ride. Oh, wow. Wow. So, of course, we're, we're all about tiny houses and tiny spaces, and we, we're sort of thinking outside the box here. We talk to lots of different people that, that live in tiny houses and tiny spaces. Are you surprised at the, at the virtual explosion of this concept, even just within the 12 months? Are, are you at all familiar with the, with the level of press that the tiny house movement and simplification and sustainability uh, has, has reached, um, and are you surprised by it? Uh, I guess I'm not really surprised. I'm really happy to see it happening um, because my whole take all along has been that we humans are sort of an invasive species and we're definitely eating the planet way too heavily. We're just uh, not, not doing activities that are sustainable. So that's kind of what I've been about from the very beginning. I just got really sick of paying mortgages and rents and realizing that when you rent a place, a house, you don't spend a whole bunch of time in the house. You're out working a job paying for the structure that you're basically sleeping and eating in, which was, seems really bizarre to me because I want to spend time in my house. I want to work on it. I want to build it myself. I want to fix it up and, and live there. I don't want to go to some other building to work and then just come and sleep in my house that I'm paying for. And so that along those lines, I was really adamant about um, about my, uh, being very idealistic about about how I want to live. So to see what people are doing now, I'm really super happy that people are doing. Although I, I do have a little bit of a problem with people who keep their house and they just get a little, you know, tumbleweed house and put it in the back of their yeah, yard yeah. and sleep in it. I mean, that's that's not really doing it. I mean, we as a, as a as a culture, we need to stop building these enormous houses that that uh, have too many rooms and just downscale everything. And and I think people are definitely doing that. I mean, I go on the Internet. I have electricity. I have a cell phone. I'm a pretty modern guy. 
Um, and I and I see the whole movement, and I think it's it's really great. So you do have electricity. I put in underground electricity right in the very beginning. Yeah, because I had I had another magazine when I came out of news photography. I had a photo magazine that I had created called Shots, and I really needed to create that magazine with a copy with a copier. I copied text and handwritten stuff and glue it on the pages, and so I actually had. A, te- a tiny television and a copy machine in my teepee. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Pretty bizarre. And you don't OPB need a don't need a refrigerator, but we need that. a copy machine. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So part of the tiny house movement is also about a sense of community and, and, and getting out of our own individual spaces and going out and spending time in the community with our people. So where are your people? Uh, you know, I don't really have any. I'm very solo. Um, I like to be alone, and I don't really join groups of any kind. People have always wanted me to join groups clear back in the photography days. And I just tended to shy away from that because I like my solitude. So, But I do follow the movements and, and see what's, what's going on. I just find it really interesting see what people are up to. I remember seeing a guy in China or Japan that had built this tiny little bubble and had it on the sidewalk. He was a college student. And it's just this little round room that he built with, with grass bags that he put all over the outside of it. And the grass then grew out of the little seed bags. So it was like this round thing of grass. And he was living in that on, in, on the sidewalk, apparently, for wow. a school year. Wow. Wow. So just stuff like that. I, I really, I just love to see people's uh, creativity on the tiny houses. Hey, Mark, you need to add that guy. Add that guy. We need to add that guy. We need to track him down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Dan, what? So you, so yeah. you're in Joseph, which is I don't even know, but it's got to be what under a thousand people, right? The town of Joseph. It's a fifteen hundred, okay. about fifteen hundred people in the town, and four thousand people in the county, no stoplights, and one fast food store in the whole county. Wow. Okay. So do, do you, I mean, do you go into town and, like, do you get mail kind of thing? Do I get what? Mail. Mail. U.S. postage mail? Oh, sure. I mean, now, the, the, the thing that's really kind of amazing is my place, as remote as it might seem in the photographs that you see in the video, yeah. is actually in, is in the city of Joseph, and what, what it is is the town is all built kind of on the other side of the river, but there's a little development that was built years ago that comes up on the hillside, just a little road with about seven houses, and I'm in a meadow down, down off the hill along the river, and yeah, so I, I, in five minutes I can be at the post office, like Ace Hardware, the grocery store, the bank. So it's, it's sort of like incredibly ideal because I, I can be on my place and not see anyone for a week if I want because right. people just don't go down. It's like an old, old horse pasture sure. that I've really cleaned up. And, and, yeah, I can have my solitude all I want. If I want to run uptown, I'm there in five minutes. That's the best of both worlds. Like that's, that's really, really an ideal scenario. And I know you're kind of a yeah. so- solo guy and all, but, I mean, do people in town, I mean, it's like... They're like, where does that guy live anyway? Because there's only so many homes. Or does everybody, is everybody kind of, you know, or, or is it small enough town with 1,500 people? Everybody just kind of knows. Yeah, they kind of know. Now, I, I started this in 1990. So 25 years ago, I'm putting an ad in the paper 
you know, looking for a site to put up a teepee. Well, you know, the ranchers were kind of laughing at me. And Joseph, um, back then, was ranching logging community. And now it's become more of a tourist bronze town, a bronze foundry town with yeah. galleries and, and very beautiful. But over the years, the locals knew right away that I was spending three winters at, you know, 20 below zero some days in a teepee. And I think that they were they were kind of impressed by my tenacity. And I, I when I go when I go into a place like that, I make it like a Japanese garden. In other words, I'm not some hippie that's trashing some meadow with a bunch of cars and crap. Right. I, I, I make it really beautiful. It was a it was like a rundown old horse pasture. I've turned it into like a park. Wow. And so they they know what I'm up to. The word gets around, um, and I'm a regular guy. I don't wear you know leather clothes or something. I'm just a totally regular guy. And I had a reputable um, business and a good reputation. And so the people accepted me, which is actually really cool, especially in a tiny town. Yeah. And so over the course of the years, really what's happening is I've gotten a lot of visitors that just show up because they hear about me on the internet or whatever, they just walk in the metal. Hey, do you mind if we, you know? Wow. Talk yeah, to I was gonna sure. ask you. I was gonna ask you about that with the with the evolution of the town sort of being more tourist and and now with the explosion of the tiny house and small space movement. Um, do you find yourself craving more privacy? How often does that happen? Um, that people just come sort not, of show up often. or ask for tours. Yeah. Maybe three, four times. Um, in the summer, some a stranger will show up. Back in the days when I had a teepee, and I kind of had flower gardens down there, actually more people showed up. But mm. now, now it's really chill, and and I don't know what it is, but the place kind of emanates an aura of privacy. Yeah. And people might come to the top of the hill and look down, and and sometimes I'll just go up and say, "Hey, what's up?" And but sometimes I just don't. Um, and, and they. They, they really respect my privacy. It's sure. really amazing. I, the last thing that I want to do is be some famous person that stopped on the street. Oh, my uh, God, yeah. And rec- recognize. I guess right. that's a, a horror. You wouldn't want that life. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so um, what's the deal with the land that you're on? Do you own it? No. When I found it 25 years ago, I went and knocked on the neighbor's door after going to the, the courthouse and finding out who owned it, what the taxes were on it. And it, it, it is indeed a two-acre horse pasture along the Wallawa River. Um, I said, I knocked on the door and said, hey, I'm a new guy in town. I'm a writer. I have a little, I'm living in a little flop house hotel uptown, and I'm looking for a quiet place to write. Would you mind if I put a tent up down here along the river on your property and, and, and trade for that? I would clean it all up, rebuild the fences, you know, take up the down trees, trim things. And they thought about it for a day, and they said, okay. So we actually signed a little contract that said that for me paying them $100 a year, they would let me do that. Well, in 25 years, I've paid $100 a year ever since, and I've gotten to live in a teepee, a little willow hut. I've I've had a little tiny beach shack. So the, the transformation of the buildings I've lived in has been... Every five years, I would kind of change into another little structure, and they were totally good with it. They they thought it was really cool what I was doing. That's wow, so cool. that is so awesome! We should probably title this uh, this uh, this podcast. We'll have to title it "How to Live um, on Your Own" or "How to Live 
um, unknown for $100 a year. Yeah, $100 a year. That's fascinating. Yeah, that, that kind of blows people away. Sure. And, you know, they he's a retired Forest Service worker. She's a retired teacher. It's not like they need the money. Yeah. You know, and they, it is undeveloped. I mean, in all the development on the place, I've done anyway. In other words, I brought in electricity. I've built a little building. They, they come down once a year when I ask them to. Hey, come down and check out what I'm doing. And they just think it's cool what I'm doing. And, and the other thing that's really neat is I was building a studio one year, about 10 years ago. I needed a little studio for my coffee machine, another little tiny underground room that I built. And the mother and the son came off the hill and were talking to me, and they just basically said, you know, we really like what you're doing here, and if you want to spend the rest of your life on our property, that's good with us. Wow. <laughs> wow. So that's really, really cool. That's amazing. I, showed, I tried to show them a lot of gratitude because it's really neat, the freedom that they've offered me. I basically had a playground, a two-acre playground, to just really work through a whole process of what what does a person really need to live what kind of a structure does a person really need to to live a, a healthy happy life and so sure. i got to do all this experimentation and after about six different methods and structures i've come to this underground room which is by far the the best the best one that i've, I've had wow how how old are you dan i'm 58 so you live so by a river. So you live by rivers. So you probably yep. have lots of access to water. So what about showers and bathing? Do you have an, an outdoor shower house that you? Um, how do you do that? Because four feet tall probably isn't enough for unless you maybe do you have a bathtub in there or how do you how do you uh, do that? Well, I, I haven't I haven't showered for twenty five years. No way. Imagine a river that's about 20 feet wide and it runs year round. It's, it's snow melts coming out of our beautiful lake. So the river never stops. It's really fresh water. I can drink the water. I filter the water out of the river. But then I built, you know, in the very beginning, I just would build, I, I built a small little room and you put a plastic bucket on the top and a little bit of plumbing coming out of it through the ceiling, you fill the bucket with a couple pails of water from the river, and because I have electricity, I put a little water heater unit in the bucket. Oh so I just flip the switch, and in a half an hour, the water is perfectly hot, just like a shower. Wow. And I go in, That's and I awesome. use biodegradable soap, and, I, and I, I've, been, I've kept perfectly clean. In the, in the early years... I also, and I've also had a sweat lodge for 25 years, a propane-powered sweat lodge that I, me and a friend kind of invented a way to heat rocks with a propane torch. And so, you know, there's nothing like going in and putting a bucket of water over the rocks as they're heating. Now, this is a steel bucket in the sweat house, and the flames that are heating the rocks heat up this little metal bucket of water you set that to the side shut all the power off of the propane do your sauna and then you have this warm bucket of water to wash off with that's another way that i can keep clean but what i'm getting at is it's so amazing you guys to have water flowing by your house that's coming from snow melt in the mountains 10 miles away and that water if i'm using it I, i'm 
creating steam with that water when I'm pouring it on the rocks and, and getting a hot sauna. Then I'm using the water that has like sage in it, beautiful smelling sage that we gather on the, on the moraine or on the lake. And it's soaked in the water and you wash up with that water. And it's just, it's just this way. And, and you're also, I'm also drinking the river water that I filter. So it's a, it's a way of, I'm using perfectly pure water in all of my processes. How cool is that? That's so really healthy. cool. It's amazing. So yeah. you have. And when you... I go to a city, if I go to a city and taste the city water, this chlorinated, it's like I can't drink it. Yeah. Like, yeah. What do you do? I, I want to ask you about what you do for food, but before that, what do you do to poop and pee? I have an outhouse that um, a regular, not a regular outhouse, but an outhouse that I built after reading a book, the, the, sort of the. The seminal book that was written on on composting toilets is called Human Manure. Human Manure yeah. Handbook. Yeah. 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 Human Manure. It's about two inches thick, and the guy studied this for twenty years. And after reading the whole thing, going, "Wow, you know, you could spend fifteen hundred dollars on a Clevis Motrum, whatever, and build some big tall." And him and his family just used a five-gallon bucket. So you go to the bathroom, cover it with soil or with sawdust and all this stuff, and then you actually compost it. So I have three composting bins, and I, I, all those, those three composting bins are, are run one at a time. In other words, I fill one at a time so that when I'm done filling the last one, the first one that I filled over there is ready to be dug out, and it's basically just soil. And I put it on the trees. I plant a lot of trees in the meadow, and I just put it on the trees. Wow. It's like a totally closed system. Yeah. And then what about food? Yeah, do you grow your own food? I imagine you probably have a garden. Yeah, I have a tiny garden. I mean, a very small, because you don't want a big old garden, because I can't really can stuff. I don't have... Mm-hmm. I, I basically right. don't have anything like that. I don't have refrigerators, freezers, oh, canning right. supplies. So everything is very immediate. So I have a tiny garden that's maybe two feet by five feet. And I grow spinach, mm-hmm. lettuce. Um, but, of course, in the last two years, what I've been discovering, a whole new discovery for me, is the wild edibles, yeah. which, by the mm-hmm. way, are about ten times more nutritious than this crap we're getting at the store that's been hammered so much with chemicals, even like spinach. Spinach is an example. The quality of spinach that we're eating out of the store now has 40% of the nutritional value that it had originally. There's, a, there's a, 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 an original spinach that was actually brought from Europe. It's called lamb's quarters, and it's a weed that we see everywhere. And everyone's trying to kill it with spray. It's actually, it's, so it's 100% nutritious. And wow. so wherever I go, I don't be careful not to eat sprayed plants, but even here in Bend, I'm seeing amaranth, plantain, lamb's quarters, um, not mowing, but um, mallow. Those are sort of four basic ones that we see, we all see in everyone's yard and, and everywhere, and you can just eat it, and it's super nutritious. So I'm slowly changing my garden from commercial seeds that I buy at the store to grow commercial vegetables to to the wild, the wild stuff. I mean, it's, it's so it's so crazy. The, the world is so upside down that way, you know. Yeah. Dan, are you are you staying in a white tent in Bend by any chance? No, no. Okay. My daughter has a house here, oh, okay. and I'm just here. She, she she's working at the hospital and needs some help 
with her grandson this week, so okay. I'm to help her out. Okay, I, ju I just had to ask because we were actually in Sun River the other day, driving down the highway, my son goes, look, way back there, there's a tent. I said, oh, I said, well, yeah. that's actually not legal, whoever's there. I thought maybe it was you now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so well, you, tents are a great way to live. I've lived in tents yeah. a lot. And yeah. It's a great way to go. But, you know, back to the food. So I basically eat a really simple diet. I... I make I don't make my own cereal, but I mix my own cold cereals, granola, put nuts, fruit, you know, dried fruits, um, and eat that for breakfast. I take vitamins. I take um, I eat uh, dandelion root just a little bit every day. It's super good for your liver. I eat a little half a clove of garlic every morning. Don't eat it, but I just get it in my system swallow it and that's that's like a natural penicillin and so then have the cereal in the morning some dried fruit every year i dry plums from some local trees and then lunch is more like cheese and uh, carrots and really good crackers like wasa crackers really you know no salt no crap at all yeah. um no, no spices that much maybe a little pepper here and there huh. and then my sort of my main food that i keep going as much as I can, which I don't really eat that much. I'm pretty skinny because I don't. I just don't eat three regular meals a day, I'm, and I'm, and I just feel great. I'm 58, and I feel like I'm 20. I mean, I run every other day. Wow. It's really, really healthy. Don't ever get sick. But the main food that I get going during the week, and, and but I, I don't always have it going, is just a handful of rice that I soak overnight, and then I put um, hummus powder in it which makes a, a total protein and some dried vegetables and you just soak them overnight and then cook that and put a little bit of soy sauce in it. It's, it's like a rice bean vegetable mixture. Mm, wow. And that's, that's like what I eat. And you can, and also throw a can of chili in there, maybe turkey chili. And that is such a heavy meal that like I said, I don't eat it every day. I mean, I'll eat it for two or three days, the pan that I made last two or three days, and then I just get off it for two or three days. It's just so heavy. So you eat talked about time. you talked about the He Manure Handbook is kind of like what how you learned and how you became educated on the composting process. Do you have a go-to book, or how did you learn really about the sort of foraging aspect of, you talked about the different weeds and the different edibles. Do you have sort of like a go-to spot where our where our listeners can uh, can follow your path in that regard? Well, I you know I I started this all before the internet, of course, and I would just go to the library because our town is called Joseph. That's Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce Indians. Yep. Um, because they lived literally in teepees. I have pictures one mile from my place, and in fact, my friend thinks that my meadow is a place where one of the Indians that, that he has read about could possibly have lived right where I'm living. Wow. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I thought, this is amazing. Yeah. We, in other words, we, all the white people came in in 1880 and started pouring concrete and bringing in their barbed wire right. and their power lines. Now, for thousands of years before that, the Nez Perce Indians lived in that incredibly beautiful county and didn't do any of that. When they walked away, they, were, they left nothing behind, no concrete, no buildings. And I thought, you know what, that, that was awesome. I want to learn about those people. So I started reading all the books that I could find from the library 
by the Nez Perce Indians. And I picked, that's where I picked up, you know, doing a sweat lodge, a sauna, uh-huh. where I picked up a, living in a teepee, living in a round circle, which is a total different way to live yeah. than having all these square corners. All those, all those kind of philosophies and concepts were from studying not just the Nez Perce, but other Indian tribes as well, and going in and finding books that showed all the different Indian structures that they lived in, teepees, wigwams, huts, and I, and I just was freaking out. I mean, it was so fun to study that stuff and realizing I can apply that to my own life, even though I'm a modern-day guy. And I just had the most incredible adventure getting rid of all the modern crap that I had put in my life. And I didn't have a lot, but I had a, an apartment full of stuff, removing those pieces one at a time and just being filled with an exuberance of freedom because, I, oh, I, actually, I don't need a TV. I haven't watched TV, you guys, for 20 years. I know I'm missing some good shows. And I hear about it. I don't want to stare at a screen. I would much rather read a, a great book of literature and have an amazing person tell me a story in, in, in their amazing way that they can tell a story. Way more interesting to me than staring at a TV screen. What do you do so in the, all those things? Sorry, sorry Dan. There's what, a whole philosophy here. Yeah. Got it. What do you do when you're living in, when you were living in a teepee for heat? I know you had electricity there, but what did you do for heat and like the heat escaping out the top or out the bottom or through the wall? Yeah, in a teepee. In a teepee, you have the outside cover, but in a real teepee, the way they really did it was it actually an inside um, insulating piece of canvas or hide as well. So oh. there was actually two pieces of canvas when those Indians lived in the winter, and you put straw in between, mm-hmm. and then and then you put the thing, uh, another piece of canvas, like a ceiling in the teepee. Of course, you close your smoke flaps up entirely in the winter. You just you just throw them sideways and just wrap it up because, you know, we had 80-mile-an-hour winds up there. I remember waking up in the middle of the night holding on to the teepee going, oh, my God, I'm going to blow away. So the weather can get pretty extreme in the winter, especially up in those high elevations. So you totally lock the top up by closing the smoke flaps and, and install this. I, it was a canvas ceiling in my little 16-foot teepee. So I basically just had a little canvas room. And the way that I heated it was with a little tube ceramic heater. It's only like eight by eight by eight. It's this tiny little cube. I still have it. I'm still using the 25 years later, I'm still using the same heater. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it heats so well that, you know, it has a tiny fan in it that when you first get in there and it's a little chill, you turn on and the fan's blowing the warm air out. But then soon enough, it's warm and you turn the fan off and it just sits there radiating heat and it warms all the spaces that I've ever lived in. I've got another question, Dan. I'm sorry, go ahead. That's my electricity bill is 20 bucks a month. Wow. That's awesome. So, Kenny, you're talking about, so talking about get, getting rid of stuff as boost kind of cathartic kind of back when. I'm assuming, unlike when you were kind of talking about your story where you have like a bag of clothes and a bag of food, I'm assuming you might have a little bit more than that now where you live. Can you, can you kind of talk about the, the layout within that eight-foot circle, kind of your your stuff and what some of the things you might have there are that are that you found are really important to you in your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very... I, I think what happened to me is I grew up backpacking in the wilderness areas around here. I grew up in this part of the country. And so what would happen to us is we'd put our backpack on and we had crappy equipment back in the 70s, we, you know, 
but we we stand there for a long weekend, and when we're hiking out, I remember going, dang, I don't really want to go back to civilization. I'm so amazed I can actually live this way with a sleeping bag, a pad, a little bit of food, and um, and that never left me. So when I when I got back to Joseph after having an occupation, I thought and wanted to simplify. I thought, you know what? Is there a way to live sort of like a like camping? And that that was really the model. And you know, people love to go camping and backpacking because everything is minimal, and you don't you go, wow, what's with all the stuff back home? You know, well, how can I have all that stuff? And so my place just has a little teeny kitchen area with a hot plate. It has a, a glass jar gallon of water that I, for drinking, it has a little teeny shelf with with food that would last maybe just one week. I don't, I, the rice and stuff is pretty special in the quantity, but the other stuff, I just, every week I just run to the store. I have a little, um, did have for all those years a little pad that rolls up that I sleep on but then rolls up against the wall as, as a chair and I like that when I come to my daughter's or other people's house and try and sit on a sofa they're really uncomfortable to me I haven't I've yet to feel a comfortable chair I'd rather sit like the Indians do on the ground right and feel mother nature be in connection with the ground as closely as I can be and so sitting on a floor with just a thin pad, sleeping and sitting is fine for me. Then a little rack over on the left with, with some clothes. I maybe have 10 shirts and three pair of pants and three pair of shoes. That's my clothes. That's my clothes. Um, the heater. Uh, and that's about it. Now, this spring I came home, and 11 years ago I had built a tiny square room that abutted right up against the hobbit hole, and it was also built underground with the idea that I was in the build bedroom. And, and 11 years ago when I did this, I just couldn't cut a hole through the two structures because I just thought, that's not going to work. It's going to leak. The bugs are going to come in. And so I just left that tiny room as a storage unit for, for 11 years. But when I came home this spring, I thought, I am going to connect those rooms. And so I spent a couple of weeks of really pleasurable work connecting that room finally. And so now when you're in the round hobbit hole, you look at one of the walls, a rounded wall, and there's a circle on it. And that, that's the hole. You just kind of climb up into this little bedroom, and the bedroom's about four by seven. It's really tiny. And it has a little window on the front of it, a window door. But it's like being in a boat, and you crawl up into your little sleeping space. So wow. now I've made an addition. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually got to paint it. You know, I, 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 all this wood, all this pine boards are beautiful. But I thought, you know, Dan, maybe maybe you should paint something because I'm kind of anti-paint. I don't want to. I've, I've, I've been doing a lot of work with people painting their houses and stuff in the summers to make some money. And I'm just appalled. It's so expensive for paint. And every five years, you got to paint your house again. It's, it's just so crazy to me. And so I never painted anything on the place. And this time, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to put some color in there. So I, I had to put like four or five coats of a really nice dark green on two sides and then a dark brown on the other sides. And it's really cool to have that transition. It's it's very beautiful if, if if you could see it. It isn't it isn't hokey at all. It's actually really classy, 
everything that I that I build looks really kind of old, like it's been there for 20 years, right. but in a very classy sense, like using old barnwood type type look, right? It doesn't doesn't look junky and like some hobo sloppy camp. Everything is done really well with rock work and. It's just, it's been great. Dan, I have to say, you, you are talking the tiny house movement to shame with regard to living small. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, totally. My, my tiny well, house is... Well, like less... I said, you know, people, it's, it's hard for people to, they want to simplify. And you know, then you get into that whole discussion of what is the base, what, what is the root feeling of human beings? Well, it, it, a lot of people don't know this. But we actually lived, our species lived as hunter-gatherers for 99% of the time we have been on the earth. Right. And you're going, what? You're going, what? Yeah, so all the modern technology buildings, living in houses and growing food with farms, that's all less than 1% of our existence on the planet. And then that's, that should just really shake people up because it's like, really? What is, what is all the stuff we've done in 1% of our time here? It's insane. And it's not sustainable. And I, you know, you don't want to get me going on that because I, I get really passionate. <laughs> I, just feel it's really, I feel it's wrong to be trashing the earth that way. And you know what? I'm, I'm just trying to quietly set an example and not get on a soapbox, but to say, you know what, people, we don't need those big houses. I, I, I went to Vegas to visit my brother a month ago, and I climbed in his girlfriend's car, an $80,000 BMW, and he's going, wow, check this out. It it was brand new, and it had all these different modes of shifting, and when you shift it into, I'm not kidding, race mode, this is a a car that people buy for the street. You can shift the shipper into race mode, and the whole dash changes to race mode. And, and, and we're racing around town, and, and I'm just looking around this car going, you know what? This is a race car, and they're selling it to this regular people that, what, what the hell? And so, you see, you don't want to get me going there. Right? <laughs> I, I get really upset with, with that whole, with our, we're, we're really not, we're not doing things that are sustainable, and we're so, I'm, I'm, like an example of that car like that is so far out there from what a human being needs. So Dan, it's Dan, Dan, I wanted to ask you because um, we're running out of time, but I did want to ask you: it, when you get on a train, it, aren't there people in the train company that are looking in those cars to kick people like you out? What now? When you get on a train to travel, aren't, aren't there people in the train company that look for people <laughs> like you in those cars to kick you out of those cars? Man, you know what? You, I'm sorry. You're just breaking up. I couldn't hear that question. So, so that when you said Does you still travel, do you still travel by train? Oh yeah, hopping trains. Yeah, yeah. So, aren't there people that that the train company employs looking for people like you to kick them out of the train? Oh. Yeah, there's a there's a railroad bull that in in every yard, um, and that they're. You know, since 9-11, it got a little intense because they're really having to protect the cars. The weird things could happen. But again, I educated myself reading the train hopping book. There's a couple that really tell you how to do it because it's a very dangerous activity. Lo and behold, you learn all kinds of things. The workers in the yard actually like you to ride their trains. It's like, what? Yeah, all the guys working for the man think it's kind of cool that people are 
jumping on and catching a ride from the Grand over to Portland. Wow. And so, oh, really? So you can actually walk up to a, a, a yard worker, and they will tell you where the trains are going, and they're, you know, they're not supposed to butt you in the yard, and they say, well, you better get over there. But they're very friendly and helpful. Wow. And I've learned how to do it, learned how to do it safely, and it is one of these iconic American adventure yeah. that most people don't get, but it's just the coolest thing ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're going to... And I, what I learned... Go ahead. We're going to start wrapping up here. I just I have a question, one last question for you. Um, in just a few sentences, what advice... You know, uh, we all have these ideals, and we would probably all love to, to emulate your experience in some level or another. Um, but not everybody can do what you do. That's just fascinating and, and just really laudable. Yeah. Um, so in a couple of sentences, what, what advice would you give for the, for the tiny house movement, for the people that are sort of looking to live more sustainable and looking to be more responsible with our asset that is the planet? I think my biggest thing really would be kind of what I said earlier, what would be you're kind of faking it if you buy a tumbleweed house and pull it in your backyard and sleep in it in the summer. To me, that's not, I mean, you're, you're actually using more resources because you're adding another thing to your life. Right. Um, I, would, I would just suggest that people go backpacking, learn, learn what it's like to go backpacking, and that incredible feeling of simplicity when you're out with nature. Because that's the big thing. Somehow, if we can get reconnected with nature, and, and the natural world, which we are cellularly a part of, mm -hmm. we're not separate from nature. And if we can hook into that somehow, I think people will naturally go, you know what, honey, this is too big of a house, man. Can we just go get an apartment? And, and then have my, my sisters doing that very same thing. They moved to Oregon from Nebraska, and they're, they're scratching their heads wondering they're renting a big house now, and they're going... <laughs> What are we going to do? So I'm on the phone with her for an hour yesterday saying, Susie, don't, don't make a rash decision. Really think about this. Do you want to get that farmhouse you're talking about and get an Airbnb going and grow the lavender field off the hill and just really make things all complicated? You're not simplifying your life, Susie. So if people just stop and think, what can I do to, to really simplify so that I have more time to spend with nature and doing the physical, wonderful things that I want to do, ride bikes, go hiking, spend time. And that's the key. Is, is there a way to really spend time in your own home-built house? Is there a way to spend time there? Because it's so cool to not rush off every morning and go to work. I bet. Yeah. And with that, actually, guess where I have to go next? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Dan, thank you so much for your oh, time. Well, we all did. I worked for 40 years, so yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time working too. We really appreciate you coming on to the Tiny House Podcast, Dan. You've been so much fun to listen to. Thanks for your stories. Thank and you. Awesome. Thank you very Yay. much. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been fun. Enjoy your day. Enjoy. Hey, see you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. 
you tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 